Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome back to a very, very special episode of The Doctor Is In. I am your host, Paul Verhoeven, and... I know I said it already, but welcome back. It's been a little while, listeners, so I thought I would dig up something very, very special for you. Now, I don't know how many of you know this, but about a year and a half ago, my first book came out. It's called Loose Units, and I've always wanted to write a book. I've wanted to write a book for many, many years. I know lots of people have, but it was really... It was really a big deal for me to write this thing, and it was a long, arduous road, and if you haven't already, you should listen to the podcast, Loose Units, subtle plug. But the reason I'm actually here, Doctor Who fans and listeners to The Doctor Is In, is that I had a bit of writer's block. You see, Penguin bought the second book, which is great. I mean, it's it's unbelievably lovely news, and... I've been sitting there over the Christmas break and the country's been beset by all kinds of bizarre things and it's been stressful and it's been hot and I just, I'm going to level with you all. I I was struggling to actually get words out. For the first time in my life, I was enduring what is effectively writer's block. Like, I've never had writer's block before. Now... (laughs) I was going through my computer. I was looking for some case files to write into this story. I was diving into old short stories. I was just like really plumbing the depths and just going, Paul, I don't think you have enough juice in the engine and you've signed the papers and you're going to have to write a book. And then I found this folder on my laptop called Voice Memos. And I remembered something that happened. Well, let me just wind back to the beginning. Back after Neil Gaiman uh, wrote The Doctor's Wife, which is an excellent episode of Doctor Who uh, with Matt Smith and the TARDIS as a lady, I sat down with Neil Gaiman in a country house about an hour or so outside of Melbourne, and it was at the home of an author friend of Neil's. And I got to say, I was rather nervous. I mean, this was the guy behind Sandman. This is Neil Gaiman. He's an absolute visionary. And I was I was very, very frightened. I was beyond frightened that I would stall when it came time to write up the interview. And then I realized, oh yeah, we talked about writer's block. So I asked him on the day, do you get writer's block? And what do you do if you get it? There are three or four answers and they're all true. Right. The first answer, which is probably the biggest and the truest, mm. is I don't believe in it. I believe absolutely Mm. and utterly in getting stuck. I've got stuck on things. I've got stuck on things for months, sometimes for years. Normally you get stuck because you're not sure what happens next Mm. or because you went down a slight wrong turn in the text and you know that you're going wrong, you don't know how to get it right or, or whatever. But I think writers are really clever. And I think when writers get stuck... Mm. Um, if you say, well, I'm stu- how's the book going? Well, I'm stuck on it. I haven't done anything for six weeks. That sounds crap. If you say, oh, I've got writer's book. People go, oh, poor thing. And you get sympathy. And, and you say, well, yeah, I'm not writing. I have writer's block right now. Like, oh. How do you get past writer's block? Because if it's some kind of 
As if, as if little men have crept into your head in the night and put up a wall somewhere and you have to figure out how to get past it. Yeah, but it's not like... Uh, I mean, stage fright is similar, I guess. But with writer's block, you get to step back from it and wallow a little bit more. I you guess. know, well, the difference between the two is, mm. you know, if you had real actor's block. Stage yeah. fright is stage fright. You're just scared before you go on stage. Right. And you go on stage anyway and... You just do it. And you do it. Yeah. Um, if you talked about actor's block, she has actor's block, she can't say her lines. You know, we're, we're having, we have five people here to perform some Shakespeare for you. Unfortunately, Joanna has actor's block, so she won't be able to say her line. Does that happen? No, because it's bollocks. <laughs> okay. It would be like saying we have the gardener in today, but he has gardener's block, so he won't be gardening. Yeah. You can't. You, you know, shoe salesmen do not get shoe salesman block. No, they get depressed. But they they get, get, just... get depressed, but you <laughs> don't get, it, it's, it's that thing. And the truth is, how do you deal with it? Hmm. One, you have good day. You will have good days and bad days writing. Hmm. That's just how it is. Two, if you make a deal with yourself that you are carving out time hmm. during which you can either write or do absolutely nothing, not go on the web, not do crosswords, not read a book, not Twitter, you can sit there. And do nothing. Gaze out the window if you like. Hmm. Or write. I can pretty much guarantee you that after 15 minutes of staring out the window, writing will become more interesting and preferable and you'll get something down. If you write something, you will be astonished to find, even if you're writing through writer's block, hmm. that tomorrow, when you come and look at the stuff you've written that you were convinced was the worst writing anyone's done in the world, it's not that bad. It's fixable. And writing, writing bad stuff that's fixable and can be fixed is a good thing to do. And the worst part of it is that in, let's say, a year's time, you've finished your book, mm. you get the manuscript back to copy edit, you remember that there were days that were written that were magical and golden when words dripped from your fingers like liquid diamonds. And there were days when... You were like a human embodiment of migraine, and the words were pulled from you like some mad dentist trying to pull teeth, and with as much pain and sorrow, and, and the conviction that every word you were laying down was the wrong, wrong word, right. and that, that you were doomed, and this was all dark. You may remember that. You probably won't remember a year on which pages were written on which days. And the sad truth is you will come to realize very quickly that it all reads like it was written by the same person right? and told by the same person. Okay. You know, the real solution to writer's block is just write. You know, yes, you're stuck. If you're really stuck on something, figure out where you went wrong mm. and get it back on the rails. The other thing that I always love doing is having more than one thing I'm writing at the time. Really? Because when I'm stuck on something, mm. I can go to the other one. Even if it's just an introduction. Even if it's just, if it's a short story here and a script over there, I'm stuck on the script. Oh, I've got to write the short story. Yeah. And because, and I know that if there were real writer's block, I wouldn't be able to write anything, including emails or Twitters. I would just go, ah, oh, these words. And there's no psychological basis for it, as far as I know. No, I, I think it's just writers being really clever. We can impress people. Mm. And we came up with this brilliant term, writer's block. And the trouble is that having made it up, because we can, we can come up with convincing things, we then impress everybody else.
Do you write to show off? Or did you start writing to show off? Uh, no, I started writing to feed myself. I was, I was definitely a, a writer who I wanted to write mm. more than anything else in the world. I couldn't, there, there was nothing else I could think of that I wanted really to do. Mm. But there wasn't a sort of thing of, you know, I, I have a way of surviving in the world. There was a, you know, if I write something and I give it to somebody, they give me a check. And I have rent and I have food and I have transport. Mm. And that meant that for the first, I don't know, four, five, six, seven years of, of my writing career, I had no, I didn't have the luxury of writer's block. I had editors who would say I need it on my desk at five o'clock. Oh. And I would, so you write it. And I learned to do things like write in crowded press rooms with a hundred other people and shit going down and you write your piece because, mm. and you hand it in. And it's on the guy's desk at five o'clock because if it isn't, there's going to be a blank space and they're threatening to fill it with a photograph of you and your address so that people can write to you and uh, or phone you up and ask where the copy is. Fear or, I mean, if you're accountable to someone, like now you're obviously less accountable to others. Right? I don't even know that it's fear. I mean, I, you know, it was duty possibly. Yeah. Food definitely. Mm. You know, um, the simplicity of it was... You know, I wrote, mm. and the writing let me survive and let me keep learning and writing more. And it, it was nice and it was simple. And I discovered that you can simply sit down and do it. Okay. And and you know, I had enormous affinities with people like Terry Pratchett, who also was you know started out as a journalist and also had the attitude of, with Terry. He had a work ethic that, that terrified even me. Because he would put in a full day's work and then he'd come home from his job at the Southwestern Electricity Board in the press office mm. and he'd write 400 words. And I remember one night he finished a novel, but he still had 200 words to go and wrote the last 200 words. So he put a new piece of paper in, started the next novel and wrote 200 words. That's insane. And I thought that, you know, I can't do that. Mm. I can't do what my friend Kim Newman used to do which is saying, yeah, I'm going to be writing a novel this weekend. Maybe it will be a long weekend. I mean, it might well have been a four-day weekend. I mean, I'd read a novel on a weekend, but... You would write them about that. I, I was amazed. I couldn't do that, but I did know that you... There was one thing that I remember reading in Stephen King's book, Dos Macabre. Mm. And he said, look, 300 words is a sheet of paper. There's nobody out there who can't really write 300 words in a day. Mm. If you write 300 words every day for a year, you've written a novel. You've written a 90,000 word novel. Mm. And that, that, that sort of meant something huge to me. You know, just the realization that all you have to do is just do it. You don't have to use it all. You can, you can delete pages afterwards. Do you delete much content? Do you delete entire I pages? love writing by hand. And one reason I love handwriting um, before I start as my first draft, mm. one, nobody can send me instant messages, nobody can send me emails, nobody can distract me while I'm writing. And two, because when I go in the second draft, the act of typing the stuff up feels a bit like work. Oh, like manual labor of sorts. Yeah. Right. Because I'm, I'm doing a second draft, but I'm also working. Yeah. If I run into a passage, I just look at it and go, you're not needed. 
leaving it out feels like I've just saved myself some work, as opposed to if I write a rough draft on a computer, mm. and I'm in my second draft, and I realize I have to delete a page and a half. I feel like, oh, and now I'm, I'm taking work that I've done, and I'm throwing it away. Right, okay. okay. So, um, and I started noticing as an, as an editor, I haven't edited a lot, every, every, pretty much every decade. Mm. Um, but I did, okay, editing in 1987, mm. edited a book. And then came and edited another book in about 1994, 95. One pre-computers, most of the things came in on TypeScript, and one post-computer. And what fascinated me was the stories that were coming in. The pre-computer were mostly 3,000 words long, 3,500 words. Yeah. The stories that were coming in post-computer were mainly, you know, six to 9,000 words long, with about as much content as the 3,000-word ones. Right. But they'd all sort of bloated a bit. It was just the feeling that, you know, if somebody had the choice of writing this or that, I'd kind of write both of them, and things would just bloat a bit. Mm. And I thought, I don't like that. I, I like... When I was a young writer, I was always told that I should write as if I were paying them by the word, not the other way around. Right, okay. And it's still something that I believe. I don't like what I think of as American MFA-style writing. What do you mean? A master of fine arts, right? There's, there's, there's a sort of an American writing style yeah. where if they have a choice of a 50-cent word or a $2 word, they will use the $2 word. If they have a choice between a, uh, a brief, sharp metaphor that really makes the point clean or a big, woofly extended metaphor, preferably with a couple of long words, and they will go for the big, woofly extended metaphor mm. and pride themselves on the fine writing has gone into it and I just look at that coming from a tradition of English writing prizing the writing of people like Robert Graves who knew their way around a sentence and knew that you use use them you know it doesn't really matter if a word is short or long what you're actually looking for is the cleanest and the most accurate word and the most efficient sentence the most efficient way of getting an idea out of your head into somebody else's. And and I still believe that. So I, I definitely, you know, tend towards a writing style that is is if I can, I will write as if I am paying the reader by the word. I remember being struck by what Neil was saying on the day, and I know now, like being completely honest with you all, that part of me was chafing against this idea. But One thing that has been said about my writing, loose units or otherwise, over the past couple of years is that weirdly, it's cleaner. And apparently, I guess, I seem to have internalized what was being said to me here by Neil, that writing can be simple and it can be clean. And it just took me a while to suppress my ego and the need to impress people with these billion-dollar words. It took me a while to really understand that. And Neil went on to talk about how writing doesn't actually need to be complicated and that he doesn't think his is. It doesn't need to be complicated. Um, I'm, you know, I'm definitely not a Rococo writer. Mm. I'm, I'm probably a kind of minimalist Baroque. Nice. Um, but there is... Um, when I do it right, if you can get the economy... If you're writing economically, you're getting the reader to do a lot of the work... Mm. And you're just picking the right words. How about with television? Because, I mean, you've got dialogue. 
but there's no real description for us. I mean, that all comes down to the DOP and all those other guys. Um, it's harder. And sometimes you fail. And sometimes yeah. I'll, I'll overwrite and sometimes I'll underwrite what I'm putting descriptions in. And what I'm also knowing is that while I'll describe something, the, um, the set designer may have other ideas. Right. You know, there was a sequence in my next Doctor Who episode where I wrote a bunch of stuff and then got a message from them saying, okay, well, we can't actually find the kind of location that you're looking for, but we found this. It wasn't a quarry, was it? It wasn't. I did, I did the quarry and the doctor's wife. <laughs> you did, yes. Which made me so happy. Yeah. I did the quarry and I did running down corridors. Yeah. I felt like, yeah, look at that proper Doctor Who episode. Um, the new one... There is no corridor running, mm. and there is no quarry. Um, but there's lots of strange locations, and, and what was interesting with that was going, okay, well, I'll rewrite the sequence to take into account the location that we now have. Oh, okay, so they gave you the location, the new location that they could get you. and Exactly. Right, okay. So you sort of, with, with television, if it works, it's a game of ping pong. Right. And occasionally you do get sad, um, you know, and the hardest thing with someone like Doctor Who is you're going to write a script and it's going to be a great script. Mm. It's going to have some really funny moments. It's going to have some great lines. It's going to have all this stuff. And then they're going to give you back a 43 minute cut. And now your job is because everything is trimmed as much as it can possibly be and some scenes aren't even there anymore and stuff mm. and your job is to work out the dialogue that gives the thing a through line so the doctor may turn his back on us and you're going to put a line in now that covers that scene that they just took out right and it's it's like a kind of mad mad chess game like a mad kind of you know ping pong match with yourself but is it heartbreaking working within the confines of like a show bible I mean it's obviously easier because you like Doctor Who yeah I don't think I've ever seen the show Bible for Doctor Who. There's no show Bible? No. Uh, every now and then, I'll get a... For the first series, um, there was sort of a note from Stephen Moffat that was maybe half a page long, just saying, you know, this is who the Doctor is at this point. He's over the Time War. Rose was a long time ago. He's moving on. Yeah. He, you know, and meet Amy, and she's feisty. And she met the Doctor when she was six mm. and he went away and he never came back and now she's kind of angry at him and he's taken her out on the universe and that was that was the show bible mm. um the the following season i never saw anything as exciting uh there was one description of our new um of our, 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 our new companion that they sent out about a year ago yeah and then they changed their minds anyway. So when I got back from Australia and said, well, I've got some stuff written, but it's not quite right. They were saying, oh, it's okay, we changed our mind anyway. So uh, um, and then the next time I ran into Stephen Moffat, he was like, okay, this is what we're doing. Mm. This is what's going on. Um, and I'd already pitched him my big mad idea. So he sent out a letter to everybody just saying, this is what's happening in the series. And, yeah. you know, here's going to be the... the first five episodes are going to be the goodbye to Ponds, which will end here, and then Christmas episode, then Clara, we can do this, and Neil's episode is going to do this, and then it's going to wrap up somehow. And that's 
that one after us. Would you consider helming this or any other show? Would you like? Would you? You know, the 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 the, the, the tragedy, if it can be seen as a tragedy, yeah. is that ten years ago, uh, before uh, Russell took over and, and brought back Doctor Who, I remember trying to get older people in the BBC circa nineteen. Circa about 2001, hmm. 2002 maybe, just to say, I, what are you doing with Doctor Who? Can I, can I, could I show Ron? Can I bring it back? Yeah. Um, I never actually got a recall return. I sort of got bounced around between a few people, and it died, and then Russell did it. And I love the Russell did it, because I think he did it better than I ever could. Um, I, these days, I don't have the mad drive that I had... 10 years ago, and definitely not had the mad drive like 20 years ago. I kind of like things like hanging around with my wife. And I like having this sort of peculiar world in which I have watched Stephen Moffat for five years now, helming Doctor Who and helming Sherlock. Does he look older? Does he look visibly aged? Has it taken a chunk out of him? I think he's doing incredibly well. Yeah. But, you know, there was a point where, you know, he'd do things like go off on family holidays. And everybody else would be out on the beach, and he would be inside writing, and all that kind of thing. And I go, you know, I knew that world. Mm. I, that was Sandman for me. Every month, without there were artists, there were writers, there were letterers, there were colorists. They were relying on me to eat, and there were readers out there who expected their story every month. Yeah. And if it didn't come out, they would be mad at me. And and there was an editor that I loved. So, you know, my family would be out there playing on the beach, and I would be inside. The holiday with the curtains drawn, just getting Sandman written, yeah. or whatever. And I've done that, and now I, I love coming in and writing an episode of Doctor Who. Yeah. Um, everybody I know who actually knows me all thinks I'm faintly mad for doing it. You know, the 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 cut, the the amount that writing an episode of Who Doctor Who costs me. Wait, I think you're mad for writing an episode. No, no, I'm, I'm just saying, in just in terms of writing an episode, I lose a ridiculous amount of money because the amount of work that it demands is, I feel, well, I could have done this or I could have done that and people would have, and instead people are going, you're doing this for BBC money and they've taken five months of your life and demanded all these. Get to write Doctor Who. I get to write Doctor Who, exactly. I mean, I'm also rich and successful enough that I don't care. But I don't think, you know, and I can say that it's perfectly possible that in a year Stephen might show up at my house and say, do you want to write it? I want to take over, and I would go, yes, I'm going to, and Amanda would go, you're mad. I'm going, yes, but I'm relocating to Cardiff anyway. Mm. Um, but I would much rather, you know, get that email from Chris Chimnorm or Mark Gatiss or Toby or, or any of these other guys out there, mm. or, you know, Paul Cornell saying, I'm now the new, the new Doctor Who head honcho. Would you like to write another episode? Because I would just, I'm, I'm, I'm old, fat, I'm lazy. None of those things. <laughs> I, don't, I, but I also, you know, I watch the emails that I get these days from Stephen, and they always, they're mostly, he has worked out ways of imploring writers not to throw themselves off cliffs. Is BBC money that bad? The trouble with the Doctor Who episode is, it's not the writing it, it's the rewriting it. The thing and the re-re-rewriting it. Yeah. And the point that you know that you finally got it off your chest... Mm. And you can get back to this big thing that everybody is waiting for, and suddenly the call comes in. Oh, okay, now we've got to read through it a week. We need this. We need your rewrite now. Yeah, yeah. And you're spending a flight, and you get the script perfect, 
only it's 70 pages and it needs to be 55 and or 50 and so you're going to spend you know it's, it's the amount of work that you take rewriting it really not uh, I love it I think it's worth it all I, I love Doctor Who yeah and I love I love what Russell did and I love what Stephen Moffat's done yeah and I also love the fact that they seem now they were all very worried about the Doctor's wife because they thought it could flop did embarrassingly. They, did they really? Yeah, they really. You know, um, the the what what's even bigger than that is you know episode was it episode somewhere in the first season the edge of destruction then the TARDIS is trying to communicate with them. Yeah, and it's it's definitely sentient. And uh, the, the you know where it was called old girl and stuff. But I think it was very odd. It was an odd episode. It wasn't like anything else. And I know Stephen was very worried. Not not personally worried about people's perception of the episode? Or... I think he was just, uh, you know, he, I mean, he said it in interviews where yeah. people said, you know, was there anything you worried about? Said, well, I didn't think the Doctor's Wife was going to be a, a success. You know, I was really worried that people just wouldn't like it, wouldn't get it, would think it was not really hoo-ish. And instead it went off and won all the awards and he was hugely happy. I love it. And then I turned in what I thought was a very, very regular Doctor Who script. And everyone's going, your stuff is so mad. I'm going, I don't think of it. It's just bad. So, um, you know, we'll see. I, 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 I'm now at the point where it's definitely an addiction. Um, there is, I, I don't want to stop writing a Doctor Who episode every year or so. I, I, I hope they let me do it forever, but I don't really want to helm the ship. So there you have it. Neil Gaiman reaching forward out of the past and inspiring me to keep writing my book. Since I unearthed this interview and edited it and put it together, I've written 88 pages. Like, they just, they just fell out of me. It was, it was bizarre. And I find it so beautiful and poetic and strange and Gaiman-esque that someone who wrote formative episodes of Doctor Who, but also wrote things that, you know, inspired me to want to be a writer, literally used a practice, tried and true Doctor Who method of stretching his arm out through the mists of time, through the vortex, and just grabbing me by the throat and just going, remember that stuff I said to you like eight, nine, ten years ago? It still applies, dickhead. So this episode really is my way of saying two things. One, my book is coming out, and I'm going to be honest, I think it's in part due to the things Neil Gaiman said to me then and now. And two... Thank you, Neil. I can't just sum up into words how much your work has meant to me and has meant to millions upon millions of other people. So please keep writing and please come back to Doctor Who because we miss you. Anyway, that's all the time we have for this very strange special episode of The Doctor Is In. I'll be back soon. Don't worry. I hope you're enjoying this season of the show and be safe.